0: Good to have you here this morning. How y'all doing? Wow, that was really bad. Okay, we're not even going to try that again. Uh, my name is Joe. I'm one of the pastors here, and um, I uh, have the privilege of working with the College of Young Professionals uh, and um, the Greenhouse. And so if you're in that demographic, you consider yourself a College and Young professional. we'd love to have you come and check out what we've got going on. Um, what else? Let's pray. God, we, uh, we just are so thankful we get a chance to worship the king of kings this morning and to just even reflect on what's true that uh, it's so much of that worship just focused on who you are that you're you're never going to fail us That you're faithful that we can trust you god and so we today we just want to ask that you would do the work you want to do in our lives god help us to just get out of your way how can we submit more of us to you Oftentimes we want more of you, but you've given us all of you. you. How can we give you more of us? Lord, we just ask that today um, your word would reign, that your spirit would do the work that he wants to do in us. I'm pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I'm like Michael. I love the new year. I mean, I'm the kind of guy, I love New Year's uh, uh, just because I get a chance to kind of hit the reset button starting over. I love the chance to even get a chance to preach um, on the first Sunday of New Year. You know why? I I just love the idea of the new and the fresh. And really, that's what the Christian faith is all about. It's that the gospel is God wiping our sin slate clean and giving us a new beginning. Jesus took all our wrongdoing onto himself, and we get the chance to be born again, to be born anew to be spiritually reborn. And really you could say that the gospel, in the gospel we get a chance moment by moment of every day of our life to walk in newness of life. That's one of the reasons I love the new year. The second reason I love the new year is I love to set goals. I don't know, is anybody else in this room a goal setter? Okay, we had with, with three people, Okay. <laughs> It's one more than the 9 o'clock service. Bar's still really low, right? That's okay. Um, But seriously, what we're looking at today could become a vision statement for you in 22. We're studying Paul's letter uh, to the church in Philippi. And we get a chance to look at what it would look like to have joy regardless of our circumstances. Because of the work of Jesus in us, we could be joy-filled people even if or when life doesn't go the way we want it to go. We can abound with joy. We can be the kind of people who have this overwhelming amount of joy in our lives, even in the midst of disappointment and discouragement. Even if we got to the point where we lost everything, because of Jesus, we possess everything. And so today we're continuing in Paul's letter to the Philippians. If you have a Bible, you Uh, You can flip or tap your way to Philippians chapter 2. We're going to start in verse 12, which is actually what we looked at a couple of weeks ago. But I just want to give you a reminder of where we're starting from. Quick little recap. This is what Paul wrote. He says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to work, to will and to work for his good pleasure. So if you remember, we, we looked at this idea That we are to work out our salvation as God works in us. The idea of working out our salvation has nothing to do with earning God's favor. Instead, it's all about living out the salvation that's been given to us in Jesus. It's really about uh, 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 living out the salvation that we have in our daily life. And as we live out or work out our salvation, we become more like Jesus To put it another way, our responsibility is to live in such a way where we're aligned with our salvation. The gospel has such an influence that it penetrates into every nook and cranny of our worlds. And so God is the one who works in us to do both the saving and the sanctifying of the follower of Jesus. It's his work to open our eyes to the gospel and to help us to grow up to maturity in Christ. And so Paul said all of that, and then he said this, live out your salvation for, God, works, for it's God who works in you, both to work and to will for his good purpose. That's where we left off. This is where we're going. Today we're going to look at the Apostle Paul. He has three things, three, three thoughts that we're going to look at, and they're all connected to the gospel. And so we're going to look at that starting in Philippians 2. Verse 14, Paul writes this. He says, do all things without grumbling or disputing. And his first thought is this. The gospel silences grumbling and disputing. If you wanted seven words to frame your 2022, here they are. Do all things without grumbling and disputing. We live in a world that's filled with grumbling and disputing. And it's not just the world. We, you and me, the people of God, struggle with grumbling and disputing as well. The Greek word for grumbling is this. It's the word gongusmos, And it means complaining or, or grumbling or, or murmuring. Often when we uh, listen to the New Testament, what, what happens is we actually hear, we'll hear echoes back to the Old Testament. And that's what's happening right here is Paul's writing. If you were to read the Old Testament, you would see a pattern in God's people it would generally go like this. God would do something miraculous, like rescue his people from the Egyptians. He'd part the Red Sea, make it so that they would cross through safely, and then wipe out the Egyptian army as they pursued on on their heels. And then he led his people by a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. And then shortly after that, as Moses is up on on Mount Sinai, he's getting the law from God. The, The Hebrew people are like, searching their pockets. They're they're going through their junk drawers. They're finding all their jewelry. They dump them into a pot. They melt it down and they form a golden calf and they worship a false God. What's up with that? Or God would do something miraculous like provide manna and quail to feed them and they would murmur. Or they'd be thirsty and God would provide water for them. And they'd murmur. Or he would want to lead them. He was leading them into, to give them an abundant land. And they would what? Go lose most. They would murmur. They'd grumble. And what's interesting when you look at the pattern of murmuring in the Old Testament, God was very displeased by it. Do you remember the consequences he gave for murmuring? Yeah, those people would never experience what it would, live, what it would be like to live in the promised land. They were never going to enter into the promised land. The only people that were allowed in were Joshua and Caleb. You know why? Because when people back then grumbled or murmured, we might call it today venting or blowing off steam. Or I'm just a verbal processor. Can I be honest with you? But God looked at it as a direct assault against his sovereign work in their lives. And the issue is this. Do we trust him? Is God really good? Does God have my best in mind? Does he have my back? So really, when you and I grumble and murmur, we might think it's directed toward our boss or our circumstances or our our lot in life. But at its core, when we grumble and murmur, we're really doing the same thing that the Hebrew people did in the Old Testament. Our grumbling at its core, it's against God. God, why hasn't my life worked out the way I wanted it to? Why don't I have all the things that my neighbor has? Why do I suffer? Why have I been dealt this hand? And notice that when we murmur, it's not like we take our entire life to God and we pour our hearts out to him. We don't cast all our cares on him like the apostle Peter encourages us to do. We don't cast our burdens on the Lord like David admonished us to do in the Psalms. No, you know what we do? We murmur to each other. we post something on facebook the truth is god knows your heart he knows your life what if he's orchestrating the circumstances in our lives so that we will grow up and become more like jesus what if his goal is to make you like his son we love romans 828 right romans 828 says In all things, God works all things together for good. For those who love God and are called according to his purpose. But Romans 8.29 is right connected with that. 8.29 says this, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. To be conformed hurts. It's painful. What if God sees the bigger picture better than you and I do? What if he has a greater plan for our lives than just simply our worldly pleasures? What if God wanted to teach us what true joy is like and how much better joy is than temporal happiness? How much better joy is than an Amazon package showing up every day at your doorstep? Or someone liking an image that you post. Or you getting to check everything off your life's bucket list. These seven words could transform your life for 2022 and really forever. Do all things without grumbling or complaining. By the way, the Greek word for disputing is is interesting. It's dialogismos. And it means reasoning or disputing or doubting. The translators for the ESV and the NASB chose the word dispute, whereas the the NET and the CSB chose the word argue. When we think about disputes or arguing, at least what comes to my mind is interpersonal issues. But this word seems to imply that our issues aren't horizontal. They're vertical. Like what Paul's driving at here isn't stop fighting with your neighbor, but more like our murmurings, And our grumblings are somehow connected with our disputes. And it's an issue between us and our God. One author I read said it like this. I I loved how he said this. He says, when we complain and grumble and dispute, we're telling those around us that we believe God is doing a very poor job. And if given the opportunity, we could do much better. So when you grumble, you could think if I had a better boss, if I had a better husband, if I had better kids, I wouldn't be a complainer. I wouldn't be a murmur. But is that really true? Is the is the issue really with the people around you or is the issue you or me? Is the issue really between you And the Lord your God. You know, one person who had every right to murmur and dispute was Jesus. I mean, the God man lived a righteous life, but was wrongly accused, unjustly punished, and crucified for the wrongdoing of the world. Jesus had every right to grumble and dispute. Earlier, when we were looking at Philippians a couple of months ago, we actually read a lot about Jesus. And I'm going to kind of go back into that because it's really profound. Paul said this. He said, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, he didn't count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus emptied himself. He took the form of a a slave. The creator God of the universe came to serve us. God the Son became Jesus the baby. He submitted himself, he entrusted himself to his father. You, and you might think that in Gethsemane, when he was wrestling with the agony that was to come, that he might have been on the verge of murmuring. But there's no way. Because as he wrestled with the father, he quickly came to the point where he yielded and said, not my will, but your will be done. And see, that's why the gospel silences Grumbling, because in the gospel, we see the greatest good we will ever know. Because in the gospel, the innocent was crucified for the guilty. We were pardoned, and Jesus was crushed. Barabbas walks, and Jesus is slain. And we're given the greatest gift ever. Forgiveness of sin, eternal life, Reconciliation with God forever. We don't just know this love once and then move on. We get to walk through life moment by moment and know this love that Paul says surpasses knowledge. The gospel says that Jesus has dealt with the greatest joy stealers ever. Sin, death, and hell. So now we've been resurrected to a life Overflowing with thankfulness And perspective Now instead of grumbling and disputing We can give thanks Our lives can be marked by gratefulness A gratitude for all that we've been rescued From and all we've been rescued For And so this year You and I can remember the gospel And allow thankfulness To silence grumbling And disputing That's Paul's first thought he continues, he says, Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world. And so here's Paul's second thought for us the gospel makes us into people who shine in the midst of darkness. And so what happens when we move away from grumbling and disputing? Well, we stand out. We stand out. It's that straightforward. The the reality is the world is full of grumbling and complaining. I mean, just think about it. How much grumbling has gone over COVID protocols? It's unbelievable. I mean, we're like, I don't know how many months into this, but it's like, it's not stopping. Or... How much grumbling has gone on as it relates just to the moral decay of our world or politics? My goodness. Well, what about Michigan weather? (laughs) Timely. I'm not saying that you can't be concerned or even grieved by what's going on. But it's what you do with it that makes all the difference. But Paul's directly linking your actions with your influence in our world. And the influence we're talking about isn't having more people join your social justice movement, your club. It's pointing people to Jesus and their need for the gospel. And so as God works in you, you move from grumbling to thankfulness. And people notice. You stand out. Paul says you are blameless and innocent And then he says that you are children of God. This is an identity statement. When we read the Bible, it's critical, especially if you're new to the faith or if you're just here and you're kind of exploring the faith, that you see this. You don't become a child of God because of something you've done. You don't stop grumbling and then God's like, oh, now you're my son or my daughter. No. You become a child of God because Jesus makes you a child of God. It's all based on what he's done. And it's out of your true identity as a child of God that you live out your faith, that you actually live out your life. And so what makes being a child of God so amazing? I just wrote three things down. The first first one is this. Your position is secure. You've been adopted by God and you can't be unadopted. When God makes you his son or daughter, he will never unmake you his son or daughter. You have a permanent place in the family. The second thing is you have the Holy Spirit in you and you can be led by the Spirit. It's not a given that you're going to be led by the Spirit. You have to choose to yield to the Holy Spirit and what He wants to do in your life. But you have the Spirit if you're a child of God and you can be led by the Spirit. And then the third thing is, you're heirs with Christ. You have an inheritance waiting for you one day. And Paul says, we're children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. Well, I don't know about you, but when I read that we're children of God without blemish, I kind of recoil a little bit. Not, not about the child of God. I get that, but it's the without blemish thing. Like, I don't know about you, but like, I, I got blemish. Anybody else have blemish in here? I mean, like, what, yeah, thank you in the back. I, I, I agree with that. Uh, I know him. Um, but what, when I think about my life, I think I've got a lot of blemish. I think about the fact that I struggle with sin and that I, I've got this, I'm weak. Like, I know my flesh is weak. And then I think about what Paul wrote. Paul wrote, he said, remember he said, I don't do the things I want to do, but I end up doing the things I don't want to do. I'm like, I get it, Paul. I'm on the same page with you. And so what that leads me to think is the blemish, the reason I'm without blemish is again because of Jesus. It's not because of me. And that moves us to think differently about the crooked and twisted generation. Because the only reason we aren't lumped in with them is, again, because of Jesus. And see, what, I, what we want is we want that to motivate us, to motivate us to do all that we can to help those who are outside of Christ to become Christians. And so, over and over again, as we've as we walked through this letter, we see God as central to salvation. We see God as central to spiritual progress. So God works in you so that you can live out your salvation. Look at how Paul puts it, among whom you shine as lights in the world. The Greek word for lights is this word foster. And it means a star or radiance or a luminary or a light. And so that is one of the reasons God intervened in your life. So that he could raise you up and put you as a luminary on display to shine brightly in a world filled with darkness. And so just don't, we we don't want to get the wrong impression. The world isn't darker today than it was in the first century. I mean, Mark made it really clear. There was a a king, Herod, who killed a whole bunch of babies. There's a great amount of darkness that has gone on for all time since the fall. But that's where you and I come in. God has placed beacons all throughout the world, pointing the world back to Jesus. Now, I, I um, had a friend that shared this story with me about going uh, cave diving. They call it spelunking. I love that word, spelunking. Do you want to say it? Spelunking. Yeah, there you go. Good for you. And, and so the thought of me, of me, for me, going into a cave kind of creeps me out. You know, like the idea of climbing between rocks. I have this like phobia that I'm going to get stuck and they're not going to be able to get me out and I'm just going to be wedged between a rock. And so I, I'm not doing it. But anyway, he, he shared this story with me about a time that he went with his family on a tour of a cave. And before the tour, the tour guide asked them to put all their lights away, like phones, all the artificial lights, you got to put them away. And he took them down into the, the bowels of the cave. And while they're down there, um, there's like artificial lights on. And then all of a sudden they shut the lights off. And he said, it was so dark. You could put your hand up to your nose and you couldn't see anything. You know, a lot of times when we're in darkness, if you wait a little bit, like some light comes in and your eyes adjust and you can see some, He said, never happened. And his wife was standing next to him and she's, he started to feel this arm kind of clamping down on his and he started to feel her fingernails kind of digging into his skin. She was feeling anxious. And so he reached down and he just hit the, the button on his watch for his light and it lit up. The entire cave. That's what God wants our lives to be like. Light shines brightest in the midst of darkness. Now I purposely skipped over a phrase there, but I wanted to go back to it. The phrase is in the midst. We're crooked, we're children of God without blemish, in the midst of this crooked and twisted generation. I believe that's our challenge as a church. To be in the midst. Many of us have great relationships with other Christians, but we really aren't in the midst of the lostness of the world. What would it take for for you to live in the midst of this lost world? Well, I was thinking it, what it would take is it would take us being strategic and purposeful. Uh, many of us are very strategic when it comes to the business world that we're in or, or other avenues of life. We're very purposeful about how we plan out our days. But are we strategic and purposeful when it comes to living on mission with God? Do we have strategy and purpose as it relates to how are we gonna connect with our neighbors? How are we gonna connect with our coworkers? What if this year... You decided, I am going to be very intentional with the people I work with. Like, I'm going to get to know them better. I'm going to go out to lunch with them. And I'm going to talk to them about important things, like, like spiritual things, or even just like, what makes them tick? What if you did the same thing with your neighbors? What if you said, this year, I'm going to intentionally have my neighbors over for dinner. I'm going to talk to them about their life. What matters to them? Get to know them. Figure out ways to love and serve the people around us? What if you in, intentionally made a list of the people in your world that you know that aren't Christians yet, and you prayed for them on a regular basis? How might God transform the greater Lansing area? How might God transform our community here at New Hope? Just for clarity, this isn't an extroverted or introverted thing. I know I've mentioned that in the past, but when you look at the New Testament, there's great examples of all kinds of personality types being intentional about the mission of God. And just as another quick aside, it's interesting that we complain about the condition of the world, and yet we have the answer to the world's greatest problem. The way the world answers the problem is like Thomas Rutt says it. Ain't nothing that a beer can't fix the way that God answers the problem is he sent his son to the cross to make a way for sinful man to be reconnected with the Holy God. So instead of grumbling, let's be intentional about loving and serving people and then opening up our mouths and pointing people to Jesus. The gospel makes us children of God and then moves us to be bright luminaries in dark spaces which leads us to our final thought from Paul for today, and it's we read it in verse 16. Paul says, "...as among whom you shine as lights in the world," verse 16, "...holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain." So Paul's final thought for us is this. We do all things without grumbling and disputing. We live as blameless and innocent children of God without blemish. We stand out as lights in a dark place by this reality." We hold fast to the gospel. All this happens is we hold fast. Paul says to the word of life. This is the how. The gospel is the how. The Greek word there for hold fast literally means to hold upon or to fix our attention upon something. And so, what Paul is he's telling us is that we need to fix our attention on the word of life. Now, I've already pl- I've already played my cards. When I think about what the word of life is, I think gospel. But I'd be willing to argue, I'm sorry, I'd be willing to agree that all God's word is useful for helping us grow up into Christian maturity. So if there's any way for you to fix your eyes on Jesus, whether it's holding to a specific promise that God's given us, or it's the gospel truth, go for it. You know, the more you think about something, the harder it is to stop thinking about that thing. Like if I put a pink elephant on the screen and then told you to not think about the pink elephant, you'd have a pretty hard time not thinking about the pink elephant, right? And if we were to not think about the pink elephant, it'd be really hard to not think about the pink elephant later today or down the road because that pink elephant just gets stuck in our mind because we think about it. We kind of fixate on it. What if you and I were to find in the word of life the specific truth from God that speaks into our issue and our struggle, where we struggle to trust God? What if we were to find that and hold tight to it? And then we were to memorize it and meditate on it. I was thinking, if there's any way that I could help you with that, like, you could share your challenge with me and I could try to figure out how the Word of God connects back with that. I would love to do that. You could email me, joe at com. My only fear in giving you my email is I have probably 5,000 emails that have been unanswered. <laughs> you might think less of me because of that, but I will answer important emails. So if you send that to me, I will get back to you. Don't make 2022 trying to to take every hill in your life. Just take one hill. What's the one hill you're going to take? What's the one theme that you want to focus on? And then think about how does the gospel, how does the word of life speak into that issue of struggle? And so I've been rolling out application throughout our entire time today, but I want to end with three very specific applications. The first one is this. Grumbling's righteous enemy is prayer. I love this quote. This is from a guy named Scott Hubbard. I read this this week in in an article in Desiring God. He said this, Every decision to grumble is a decision not to pray, not to pour out our hearts before God, not to draw near to his powerful throne of grace. Likewise, every decision to pray is a decision not to grumble. Isn't that good? And so before you murmur to someone, Go to God and ask for his help in that matter. That's the first one. The second one is this. Give thanks in all circumstances. For that's the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. 1 Thessalonians 5, 18. God wants you to give thanks in all circumstances. So how can we do that? Well, one thing I was thinking about is that it's a, like, I think th- being thankful is kind of like a muscle. It's so we're really good with the grumbling and the murmuring and the, you know, the disputing muscle. That one's strong. But we've got to strengthen the, the thankfulness muscle. And so what we need to do is we need to practice thankfulness. And so what I've been doing is I, I don't, I'm not really a journaler by nature. You could probably know that by not answering 5,000 emails. But what, I, what I've been doing is I just take a couple minutes every day. And I just write down things I'm thankful for. And I kind of turn it into prayer to God. And so my encouragement would be for you to do the same thing. Take three minutes in your day and just jot down the things that you're thankful for. Turn them into prayer to God. And then bring those to the table at night and just share one thing as a family that you're thankful for. gotta, Gotta get those muscles strengthened, those thankfulness muscles. It's a discipline. So we need to develop the discipline. And then the last application would be to hold fast to the word of life. Hold fast to the gospel. I love being redundant about that. Scott Hubbard says this one more quote. He says, "Because our grumbling relies on a false interpretation of reality, we need God to reinterpret our circumstances for us." I'm going to read that again. That is so good. Because our grumbling relies on a false interpretation of reality, we need God to reinterpret our circumstances for us. Therefore, as Paul tells us, we put away grumbling by holding fast to the word of life. And so we need to find a way to hold on to the word of life, to fixate on the gospel. See, training our minds is hard work. It's so much easier to flip through your Instagram feed. It's so much easier to to flip on Hulu or Roku, whatever you use. But this is what God has given you and me to help us find true life. Let's pray. God, we just echo all the things we've talked about. God, we we are so thankful this morning for Jesus. We're thankful for the truth of the gospel. We're thankful that we're like Barabbas. We walked. Jesus was slain. We're so thankful that we didn't just walk away, but you drew us to you. We get to be with you. We get to walk with you. So God, we ask that you would make us people who just overflow with gratitude. Help us to be just conscious of all that we've been given, all, all, all that we have been given, so that we just, just can't shake it. I, I just, I know that that's how I think, God, because I just, I'm just so thankful for what you've done for me. So we thank you, just in general, that you are with us and that you're never gonna leave us nor forsake us. And we just thank you for our time today in Jesus' name. Amen.